Good afternoon and welcome to the show. Hey, you know what? A usual week in the life of real estate and we've got a lot to talk about today. But my question for you, are you ready for Christmas? You know, I'm looking at the calendar and I'm thinking to myself, how can it be December 3rd already? And sure enough, it is. You know, my I asked my daughter, you know, is, are you excited about Christmas? And she's already into that Advent calendar and she's loving the chocolate. So, yep, Christmas is on its way. And are you ready for it? Well, you know, last week when I was talking to everyone, I was mentioning that, you know, if you're selling through the Christmas season, don't be afraid to put up your Christmas decorations. It's one of those things that, you know what, you still have to live. People have to realize they're buying a home, not a house. And it's important that people can actually see you can live in a home. Now, one of the things this week that we are going to be talking about, though, of course, is the marketplace and what is going on. Uh, two guests this week that are going to be joining me, Mr. Greg Gilmore, later in the hour. He is one of the founders of Remax here in Canada, uh, owner of one of the biggest uh, Remax brokerages, Remax Realty Specialist. Uh, he also was my broker for about 15 to 20 years. And I always do, I always say 15 to 20 because you know, there was times where I, I, I stopped selling real estate. But uh, definitely knowledgeable. Greg has well over 40 years experience in the real estate industry. Going to talk to him about the market, also about foreign buyers. You know, he's he's on the ground with his agents there. And the question is, is that are the foreign buyers actually jumping up into the GTA market? Is it something we should be afraid of? Or um, is it as big a thing as it was in Vancouver? You all know my response to this, but you know what? I uh, I like bringing in pretty much professionals in the industry, and Greg is definitely that. Also, uh, but joining me shortly is Greg Benell. Um, Greg is from BNN, and uh, he is um, he's also the host of House Money on BNN, and uh, great to have him on. He is a uh, professional uh, in the real estate industry, has a great analytical mind, and honestly, if you want to tune in to BNN, uh, House Money with Greg Bennell is an excellent show. So uh, he's going to be joining me shortly. But let's talk about what's actually happening. CMHC just released a report this week, and, you know, again... I don't know if we can believe some of these reports because, quite frankly, most of them, I think, are hooey. You know, they some of the stuff that they put together on these reports, I look at it and I say, you've got to be kidding me. But I may as well share with you if you missed the news article. CMHE said foreign ownership of brand new condos is actually a lot lower than most people think. And this is where... You know, I got to call foul. They're saying that only 2.3% of all brand new condos in Toronto that were purchased in 2016 were bought by foreign buyers. 2.3%. Now, here's where I call foul. They're telling us that only 2.2% of the Vancouver new condo sales were bought by foreign buyers. Now, this is where I got to question it. Are you sure about those numbers? Because Vancouver, you know, started screaming bloody murder in August, talking about the numbers and how far astray they actually were. I mean, they were saying somewhere in the neighborhood of 30 and 40 percent in certain marketplaces that they had the foreign buyers. And, you know, the number they said apparently, and this is this is where, you know, we got to keep looking at it. So 0.2% of all brand new condos in Regina were sold to foreign buyers. 0.2%. Now I get it. What foreign buyer wants to move to Regina? And I don't even know how many condominium developments were done this year in Regina. So that one number I can believe. 
What about Halifax? 1.2% of all brand new condos in Halifax are being bought by foreign buyers. Okay, Halifax, I get it. Maybe not, you know, a huge number, but really, 2.3% in Toronto, 2.2% in Vancouver. You know what, CMHC? I think you need to get the calculator back out and retest your numbers. I don't think they're right. You know, they released the numbers back in July in Vancouver saying that they thought that only 5 to 8% of people that were buying were foreign buyers and foreign investment. And then the staggering number started hitting the fact and the wall, just like some things stick to, and it was over 30%. So, you know what I I think that is. So I don't believe your numbers and sorry, I think somebody's got to check to make sure the batteries were in the calculator on this one. Now let's talk about the real things that are happening here in, in Toronto though. So numbers again continue to come in exceptionally strong. So we don't know the numbers yet for November. We know where we were coming out of October was which was sitting over 20% in just about every single marketplace. Now again we're talking about more or less the detached, semi-detached townhome market. When we talk about condominiums, condominiums were up as well, sitting at 16% increase year over year. These are big numbers. Now, uh, in some of the other parts of the market, in the, uh, in the condominium market, they were going up 8%. So there is a variance right there and it depends on the age. So if a marketplace does not have brand new condominiums in it, so anything from, let's say, built in 2010 and newer, then we're not seeing the same increase. If you see the older condominiums, stuff that was built before 2010, those are where the marketplaces are looking at anywhere from that 5 to 8% increase in value. Now, the problem that most people don't realize is that a lot of the older stuff is better value than the new stuff. When you take a look at the brand new condominiums, a lot of these people are trying to achieve that five, six hundred dollars a square foot. Take your basic six hundred square foot condo, you know, three hundred sixty to four hundred thousand dollars. That's all well and good, but when you decide to make that into an investment property, you become a nonprofit organization, and this is where, when we talk about investments in the GTA market, older is better, meaning that you still get a solid rent for a property that's a little bit older, costs you less money. Now, a lot of people are saying, but hang on, Todd, condominiums, older means maintenance fees are up. Well, then you take one step further backwards and you say, then don't buy the stuff with all the amenities because the amenities are what are driving the price. Now, I don't know if everybody heard in the news last week that the, the Trump Towers here in Toronto uh, is up for sale. Now, we got to remember, Trump is simply a name and a management company that sits on that building. The actual owners of it, who ended up buying the, out the developer of their debt because they were going under, they're going to be looking for a big price tag here. In fact, looking at the number of suites that are left over, so unsold, the square footage prices are exceptionally high. And the problem with this product, and most people are aware of it because if you are the owners of it, their negative cash flow is absolutely massive. And the original evaluation when these wins were sold was way, way off market. So in other words, the banks weren't giving all the financing when you bought something. And let's say some of these units went up for eight to $900,000. Well, the bank turned around and said, we don't believe they're worth 800,000. You might've paid that for it, but we're only gonna agree that your value is 700,000 or 600,000. And then on top of that, they didn't agree that it was a residential mortgage because it's kind of got a cross purpose. These things are actually hotel-like uh, condominium slash hotel suites. So they turned around and said, no, you got a commercial designation, so you have to put more money down. 
Unfortunately, there was a great deal of people that got caught up in this and ended up having to put a lot more money down and still have negative cash flow. So it's going to be interesting. I'm going to keep you up to date on this because again, the Trump, the Trump name may be removed for whoever ends up buying the overall rental aspect of it and the management. So if it does change, Mr. Trump may not have his name on a building in Toronto any longer. And I'm okay with that. I really don't think it adds any value at all. Some of you may disagree. You may think the brand is strong, but you know what? There was a lot of problems there and it'll be interesting to see what transpires in the future with it. Will it turn around and, you know, start becoming more successful? Will people pay the premium behind the actual building? We'll wait and see. And uh, again, you know what? The market itself in Toronto for rental properties is actually becoming stronger. You know, for a little while there, we were concerned about inventory. Was there going to be too much inventory coming through? Well, a lot of the builders have had some delays and a lot of you that have purchased are starting to feel them. In fact, some of the builders, as we know, such as Urban Corp, actually canceled the deals altogether. So there was this anticipation of a thousand and two thousand units coming into the marketplace and all of a sudden they just up and disappeared and a lot of people are getting their money back. Some people are, you know, hanging in there trying to see if the people that are taking over the developments are going to do something with it. But ultimately, in the end, what we are trying to achieve here is a stabilized market. Well, right now, with the rental market, we are seeing, again, an upward pressure on it, which is a positive thing. Vacancy, of course is getting tighter. So it means that people are being a little bit more competitive. Now that's okay, but it doesn't mean that the prices are going to go through the roof. What we are seeing though, is landlords being able to be a little bit pickier. So let me give you a couple of tips. If you are a would-be tenant, somebody that wants to rent a property, first and foremost, you're going to need a credit report. Make sure it's up to date. If you look at your credit report and you see something funny on it, then get in touch with the credit reporting agency immediately and see if you can get it rectified. Because if you've got, and it does happen for some people's credit, you will see some other person's claim on it. In other words, if your name is John Smith and there's another John Smith out there and they have what they call an R9, meaning they defaulted completely and it was written off, it could be on your credit report. So make sure you read your full credit report, understand it, okay? Now, the next step, of course, is the fact that you wanna be prepared. So know that you need to have your first and last ready. So if you are going to put in an offer, have a photocopy of a check, a money order, get it ready. Make sure that, again, looking at your credit report, make sure it's up to date. Don't pull it if you're thinking that you're going to be six months down the road. Every time you pull up your credit report, it does ding your score a little, and you got to keep that in mind. Now, the next step, of course, is if you are looking for employment documentation from your employer, your T4, any form of you know verification on what you are making, the, the your would-be landlord is going to need that. They want to make sure that you are actively employed. They want to know that you're going to pay. If you are currently a tenant at this time and you have a good relationship with your landlord, ask for a reference letter. You know, not all landlords want to know you're moving out, but if you've been a good tenant, there's no reason for that they will not give you a recommendation. Folks, line it up properly and you'll be all set. All right. Listen, coming up after the break, I've got Greg Bennell joining me from BNN. So you don't want to miss this conversation. So stay with us. We'll be right back after this.
And welcome back. As I had alluded just before we went to the break, that uh, my guest this week is Greg Bennell from BNN. He is anchor of House Money and uh, real estate reporter. And Greg, uh, great to have you on the show again. Always a pleasure to be here. Always enjoy uh, having a good chit chat with, you know, professionals in real estate. It's kind of funny, you know, one of the things I've recognized um, over the years, now that I, I you know, I, I, always, uh, I always have to think to myself, how many years have I been doing real estate? And when I look back at it, it's been in 30 years I've been in the industry and there's very few people out there um, that you know I enjoy more talking with than pre- professionals like yourself and it's oh. all it's always great to have it's and, great to hear thank you and uh, listen house I understand house money's doing great yeah we've had lots of really interesting guests and that I mean no shortage of huge topics this year too yeah, 2016 has been a stellar year for a lot of diverse topics. And of course, you know, the government implementing all sorts of different things that, you know, I want to talk to you about, of course, today. And uh, just to remind our listeners on BNN, you can catch House Money on Tuesdays at 5.30 and repeating at 7, I believe. 7 o'clock. Yeah. 7 o'clock. Excellent. So make sure you catch Greg every single week. You're going to find out lots of good information. But more importantly, let's take a look at the 2016 market. Here we are. We're winding down. It's December. You know what? We're going to come through the year probably another record. Last year, we set it with Treb, uh, 103,000 transactions approximately. Uh, right now, we're probably on target to be somewhere closer to 115. Um, you know, uh, I think that, you know, it's amazing just to show what the market's been doing. You know, what do you see? I mean, you know, it's been, it's been a stellar year. Um, can we continue at this pace in, is it foreign, is it, is it actually new immigrants that are driving a lot of it? Yeah, that's the big question with Toronto, right? Because Toronto and the surrounding area is sort of like the last market standing. Vancouver already started the cool even before all the new rules came in, both the, the 15% levy on the foreign buyer and then the new mortgage regulations out of Ottawa. So that market was already sort of, sort of run out of steam of its own accord and then all the policies really knocked it down. So now everyone has that question, well, Toronto is going to have a record year. What happens in 2017? Uh, some of the people I talked to who have been a little bearish on the housing market to begin with anyway think that it's only a matter of time, that all this regulation that's making it harder for the first-time buyer to get into the market, uh, making it harder for the non-banks, the, the, the monoline lenders that they call them to actually fund their mortgages, eventually that's going to flow through to the market. We're already seeing higher rates. So we can talk about Donald Trump, and I know we'll want to talk about that, but the <laughs> Trump bump actually pushed up the, the bond yields, which means higher rates too. So all of these things coming together, people are wondering, all right, when does Toronto peak and sort of just, just find uh, its zenith? And then not necessarily correct, but at least cool out. And we stop seeing these huge price appreciations and these huge amount of sales volumes. Yeah. So I, I, I'm going to actually, you, you, you almost covered our entire show there in topics. That, so that, that's like the, the that 10,000 foot view. Now we can yeah, go down. Yeah, great. So now, so now what we could do is we can break it down a little. And um, let's go out to Vancouver for a second, okay? Because again, the Vancouver market, as, as you had, had mentioned, and I've been talking about it for a long time. We knew that the steam was coming out of the Vancouver market even prior to this foreign buyer tax that was implemented back in August. And we could see we could see it actually on the horizon sitting right around June and July. This is where we start we, we saw the actual crest of it in April, May. That's where they topped out at about 32% year over year increase. And then all of a sudden we started seeing this slide and everybody started looking at the numbers. And in October they reported that the price year over year in the Vancouver market was still 20%. But what that does is if you take your high and your low, you start looking at it saying, okay, well, was there really a 15% slide in the market price or do we still weigh it in year over year? If you were to analyze it, what do you do? 
Everyone's, uh, this is the key one where people battle over either the benchmark price or the average sale price. And um, right. people on both sides will cry foul at the other party. The benchmark price basically, and you know this well, and perhaps some of the listeners uh, don't know the difference, but you try to take a like-minded home. Like if I look at my home and say, I want to find a home like mine in my neighborhood, yep. what did it sell for? Not the, what did Bill Davis, who actually only lives a few blocks over from me in his much <laughs> nicer home, sure. what would his home be worth? Because that doesn't matter for my home. So people argue that the benchmark is what's important. Benchmark prices have just started sliding a little bit, but average sale prices in Vancouver which is basically just mathematics, right? You take everything that's sold, you sure. divide it by a certain number. They actually plunged about 15%. The argument there is you're not seeing as many high-end homes moving because of the foreign buyer tax and a few other figures. So, it was, so people cry foul on both things, but there's no doubt that in terms of sales volumes, they've fallen off a cliff in Vancouver. Prices by any measure are pulling back now. So there's no argument to be made in terms of the cooling of that market. I guess the argument is to be made as to the degree of it and whether you can call it a correction or not. Yeah, and that, I think that's a great point. The other the thing that I think we have to do is turn around and say, okay, is there a bottom to the market and where will that be? Mm -hmm. So if the market naturalizes, which in most cases in any standard real estate market, we've always equated over the years that anything between a three to 7% natural growth year over year is healthy. Okay, we, we should be we should be ahead of slightly ahead of inflation, but when we take a look at a standardized market, a three to seven percent growth is pretty good. Now, if we take a look at the marketplace in Vancouver, is there a bottom? Where will that bottom be? Is it going to be back to the 2015 values, 2014 values? Because when you do such a meteoric rise in price, again, we knew it wasn't sustainable. <laughs> and as is Toronto, you know, and, and and we'll get to Toronto in a minute. But more importantly, if we take a look at the current price values in Vancouver, even though they're coming backwards from their peak, people are still saying, hey, listen, what they're selling today, and again, as you mentioned, your benchmark price, I think what we're going to see is that 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 price point around a million dollars is going to be the one that's going to probably be more stable. The one sitting at the three, four, five million, which is driving the steam of the market, 35% growth in that marketplace, I think that's the one that's going to fall flat. And as you said, it's not going to transact nearly at the same volume. Yeah, because some of the dynamics haven't changed in terms of how much supply is out there, right? Some of the buyers that come off the market, and a lot of you know about real estate, it becomes psychology, right? What, and anything, any asset of people are buying stocks or, or whatever you're buying, it's the psychology of what, when do you sense value? When do you move in and say, that's not a bad price for a house? Or maybe the market, as it seemed earlier this year, those prices have gotten a little ahead of themselves. A lot of people even argue that the foreign buyer tax didn't scare away the foreign buyer. It more scared the, the, the local market and just change their psychology in terms of thinking how much strength does the market have? Where is the strength coming from? If we pulled back 10% in Vancouver, that would be a correction, like the classic definition of a correction. If we went down 20 or 30%, uh, people would probably be crying crash mm -hmm. and running for the hills. But at the same time, people point out, if that market pulls back 20 or 30%, like you said, you're just resetting the clock back to 2014. Yep. And, and so in terms of affordability, where does that really leave us? Where, where's the sort of price where Vancouver feels like it's an affordable market? And then there's two different kinds of buyers, isn't there? There's the, there's the local buyer, the person who makes the average income saying, I can't live in the city anymore. And that happens in big cities. People get pushed out to suburbs. Suburbs. And then yesterday I was speaking with someone who runs up an international realty firm for luxury real estate saying, you kidding me, Vancouver, Toronto, bargains, bargains compared to New York and London and Tokyo. Yep. So it depends on what kind of buyer you are and how you feel about the market, whether it's astronomically out of uh, control or, oh, I wouldn't get mind getting a property there, Canadian dollars cheap and a million bucks. I got no problem with that. Yeah. Excellent thoughts. Listen, Greg, um, I'm going to have you stay put. We're going to go to a quick break. When we come back, folks, we've got more with Greg Bennell from BNN. So stay with us. We'll be right back.
And welcome back. My guest is Greg Bennell from BNN, and uh, we are talking about the real estate world. Greg, just before we went to the break, you know, you had made a really great point. I've been I've been telling our listeners this for years, but your point was is that you know on the world stage, Toronto and Vancouver are still good deals in comparison to places like Tokyo, New York, mm-hmm. and some of the other major you know cities that are deemed to be world markets. Unfortunately, though, that's cold comfort to people who actually live and work here who don't make astronomical salaries because they can't afford, they don't have the deep pockets that these international investors have. So that's where you get a real friction. And it's interesting to watch the federal government field questions <laughs> about this. The Trudeau liberals or Bill Moore, no, they don't want to discourage foreign investment in this country. Because it's true that in certain areas, in terms of trying to build up the energy sector or other areas, you want those foreign dollars to come in. We don't have the money here to, to build out the infrastructure we need. But everyone's afraid of that foreign investment in real estate because what it does to local home values. So they have to tread a very careful line. And in Ontario, they've been very careful to say that they don't want to do what we saw happen in BC and in Vancouver and start blaming the foreign buyer because they don't want to scare away investment. The, the province of Ontario has been very clear on that, and Ottawa has been very clear on that as well. Well, it's interesting because Kathleen Wynne, a few, uh, as you remember, about a month ago had disclosed that she's not going to implement a foreign mm-hmm. buyer tax. Now, the real question is, is did, did they actually analyze it and realize that, A, it would be bad for real estate in general, or was she more trying to appease the federal approach to what's happening? As you mentioned, you know, obviously the Trudeau government wants to encourage foreign investment. Uh, you know, I, I think the idea, you know, for a little while there, they had uh, like the idea of opening it up to, you know, a few more hundred thousand people to be able to immigrate. And there's nothing wrong. And I think, and this is one of the clarities that I try to give everyone is the fact that there is a difference between people that immigrate that are foreign mm-hmm. and foreign investors. Yeah, okay? that's Every, the key. Yeah. Everybody makes mm-hmm. that, you know, they cannot uh, discern the two because a lot of people say, yes, but yes, they live here, but they're a foreign investor. No, if they're living here, they're making money here. They're not a foreign investor. They're foreigners that have moved here, you know, potentially becoming Canadian citizens. But at the end of the day, foreign investment means that you do not occupy it here. You do not pay taxes here. You do not live here. And I think a lot of people get caught up in the minutia of this and saying, hey, but they're foreigners. No, they're actually people that are coming to create Canada as a home. Well, the head of uh, Canada's housing agency, the CMHC, Evan Siddell, giving a speech yesterday in Vancouver and basically saying that, that people getting alarmed when they look to the people moving in next door and they don't look like them. He says that's not the issue. The issue is what you're talking about. Is it hot foreign money that's not trying to build a life here, that's just trying to park cash and make a big return and that's going to pull out of the market at the first sign of trouble because that becomes the problem. If they all flee the hot money, that's when the market gets destabilized. But your point is exactly, if you're coming here from another country, your kids are going to U of T, they're going to U of BC, you're yep. building a life, you're, you're working here. That is not a problem to the market. Yeah, I've always tried to encourage, and and I know that, uh, you know, Miss Wynn and of course, Mr. Trudeau always turn tune into us weekly because I know they want to listen to the show. (laughs) (laughs) But more importantly, one of the things I've always tried to, to, I guess, get out there into the ether is the fact that I think that a foreign buyer tax um, up front is probably the wrong approach. I think the exit tax is really where we should be putting the pressure on. Exactly. So, if the money is fast and it's hot and it tries to get out at a profit, then let's ding it. I don't yeah. think anyone would have a problem with that. Yeah. And I yeah. think, I think like substantially. Mm-hmm. So you know what? It gives them pause because if they turn around and say, listen, we want to invest it, we want a safety net here. No problem. But if you're going to exit, 
you're going to pay and you're going to pay severely. And I think that, you know, if they did that, that would create a lot more control so that fire, foreign buyers coming in here aren't going to do as exactly as you said. If the market adjusts or, you know, looks like it's going to go down, they don't pull their money immediately, try to g- gain profit and force the rest of us to suffer from it. So I think it's a great point uh, that you've made. Now, one of the things you, we mentioned and touched on just a little bit earlier, interest rates. So, you know, interest rates, of course, are is that kind of moving target right now. We felt some pressure. TD, RBC, both uh, under their own steam have decided to change what they deem to be, you know, prime. Uh, right now, as far as we can tell, um, are we looking at, you know, they, they've been, you know, uh, they've been keeping interest rates, you know, there was talk even of them reducing the prime. What, what do you think we're, we're going to be looking at? I, I think it's on two fronts. Uh, we can blame Donald Trump on one side, and that's in the bond market, of course, because we saw the, the yield curve uh, steepen. It basically means that uh, yields uh, the, are going up on the longer-dated bonds. But that's where the banks look when they look to price their fixed mortgages. And that's sure. the most popular mortgage product in Canada, the five-year fixed. Right. So when the five-year, fixed, uh, five-year bond yield started moving higher post-Trump, because all of his policies are seen to be pro-economic growth, the bank said, well, that increases our cost of funding. This is our opportunity to raise rates on fixed products as well. But then all the mortgage regulations that have kicked in over the past little while from Ottawa, also making it more expensive in terms of uh, how they fund their mortgages. So they sort of have two funds where they can say, listen, there's market conditions here that are forcing our hand. No one likes to hear that. And we've seen the uh, actual prime at TD. I didn't even know this as much as I follow this stuff. There's the prime rate at the banks, which everyone knows. You offer your best customers. TD has a separate mortgage prime. They do. And they push that one higher. (laughs) (laughs) And 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 that can hits people right away. If you've got it a floating did. rate mortgage, you're not waiting to renew. You got hit immediately. It did. We had Dave Butler on a couple of weeks ago, and apparently there was a lot of TD clients in an uproar because mm-hmm. in their actual mortgage documentation, it said that they can adjust their prime, which immediately had affected them. So when they were surfing the lower rate, they're saying, they're saying, this is great. And then literally the next day, it went up and all of a sudden their mortgage their mortgage costs went up. So, you know, this is one of those things that we've got to be cautious with, of course. But more importantly, you know, Bank of Canada, right now, the suggestion of, you know, there has been speculation uh, if, the, if they're going to reduce it. We definitely know that they're not immediately looking knee-jerk reaction to increase it. Mm-hmm. 2017, do you think we're just going to stabilize with the Bank of Canada or is there going to be some upward pressure on them to, to, to raise it? I think the bank has a little more leeway now only because of all those new mortgage regulations, particularly when you go into the bank and you get tested at that higher rate now, no matter yep. what kind of insured mortgage you're going after. Yep. That, really free, that really freed up Governor Polos's hands because before everyone kept pointing to him saying, you've kept rates low, look at the heat in the housing market. If you cut again, you're going to add fuel to the fire. That takes a lot of pressure off of him. So he can sort of sit back. I think they got a rate announcement coming up. He's, he's just going to watch now because there's a few things to watch. Will Donald Trump, once he gets in the White House, really enact these pro-growth policies? And will the U.S. economy start picking up? What does it mean for our economy? He has a few things to keep his eye on. So he does have a little more freedom to cut if he has to, if the Canadian economy underperforms going forward. But at the same time, he has a bit of freedom either to stay pat or maybe if things start to get better, which we and, – and we hope they do. I mean, cheap money is fun, but – it's predicated on the fact that the economy is ailing. If the economy gets strong, then, then he has freedom, too, to start moving a little higher. Yeah. So OPEC decided to uh, do a little bit of a limitation, not a whole lot, um, you know, as far as output, which they hoped will, will I guess, start uh, giving a little bit of a growth to the actual oil prices. But it didn't seem like there was a whole lot. And now Trump, on the other hand, is looking at, he likes the idea of the shale, shale oil as well, you know, the pipeline through Canada. So, you know, 
if we take a look, you know, we we try to say that you know in Canada, obviously. Um, Barrel prices uh, do affect our economy mm-hmm. quite substantially, as we know. Um, do you see that stabilizing in 2017? If OPEC, when they came out of this meeting, they said we're going to agree to this production cut and oil jumped uh, 9% just in one day. Yep. The key is they set the uh, implementation for January. Do they leave that room and do they all sort of stand by their commitments? If they do, oil stabilizes maybe in the $50 to $60 range and that's great for our economy because as much as we talk about the need to diversify and get away from that uh, dependence on the commodity, it's such a huge part of the Canadian economy. It's what really sank us coming out of the end of 2014. So if we can get some stability there, these pipelines that they've approved, if that Trans Mountain one actually gets crewed to the Pacific Ocean, we can start selling it to the world. Our oil won't sell at a discount, which it does now. All these things will be a boon to the Canadian economy. And if the economy can get on a steady foot with oil, you can bet that the Bank of Canada will start moving interest rates higher because they'll want to sort of take that risk of all the debt we're carrying and that we're just so enticed to borrow out of the market. And in the end, it'll just mean higher borrowing costs for households. And it gets back to the housing market. If it's costs more to carry that house, maybe some of the demand cools. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, CMHC this week uh, released a study that said that, um, you know, defaults are up a little, uh, but mostly in Alberta. Mm-hmm. And of course, this is a reflection of, you know, the oil industry, uh, about people being losing jobs, not being able to maintain it. So they did say that, you know, that the, the defaults were up slightly there. But overall, they're saying that, uh, you know, the economy is looking pretty good for them. So they, they, they don't have a lot of complaints. It seems that Alberta may have bottomed out. They may have seen the worst of it. There's not sunny days days right around the corner. But if this is the worst of it in terms of the hit we took, because, you know, and in the end, it comes back to Canadians will make their mortgage payments as long as they can make their mortgage payments. Yeah. They don't, in most provinces, you just can't throw the keys in the mailbox like they could do in they Vegas the at the height of the yeah, yeah. bubble and just walk away. So it really just comes down to you've lost your job. You can't get another job. You just can't pay for that house. But in the end, Canadians don't want to lose their homes. Yeah. Excellent. Listen, Greg, thanks so much for joining us. Folks, make sure you tune in to Greg Bennell at BNN and uh, listen, watch House Money. Excellent. Tuesdays at 5.30. Greg, thanks so much. Always a pleasure being here. And we'll be right back after this. And welcome back to the show. So if you're just tuning in, my next guest that is joining me, it's uh, Mr. Greg Gilmore. And for a lot of people in the West End of the GTA, that name will sound very familiar. Or for anybody that's been involved with the Remax uh, company over the years would definitely know Greg's name. Greg is one of the founders of Remax right here in Canada, uh, owning one of the biggest brokerages in Canada for Remax. And Greg is definitely probably what I would deem to be one of the most professional agents in the industry, uh, also one of my mentors. Uh, and when I was in real estate, one of my, of course, Greg was my broker. And I wanted to introduce everybody back to Greg Gilmore because uh, Greg was on with us last year um, and uh, I'd like to bring him back in. So Greg, welcome to Simply Real Estate. Well, thank you very much, Todd. I appreciate it. So, Greg, you know, one of the things that you and I have talked over the over the, the last 12 months uh, when we get caught up is what's happening in the market. I think that uh, this year in itself, 2016, has been a remarkable market for Canada, but yet we're seeing some cracks in the armor. Uh, you know, things like Vancouver, you know, bringing in a foreign buyer tax. You know, we see maybe upward pressure in some interest rates. Greg, you know, just for for our listeners' sake, um, yourself, you've been, you've now been in real estate, and I hate to date you this way because people are going to say, there's no way he could be in the business that long. How many years have you been in real estate now? 
42. 42 years. Wow. Now, you know, if if we take a look at the last 42 years, of course, you have been one of the people that have weathered the ups and downs and market crashes. You know, back in 88, 89, 90, you saw what I guess most people would deem to be the one of the biggest real estate crashes in Canada, correct? That was one of the biggest ones, uh, although... Uh, there was a big one in 1974, April 1974. They brought in the speculation tax, and and uh, the the prices just kept falling, falling, falling uh, for the next probably two years, and the interest rates kept going up. And we saw the highest interest rates we've ever seen, up to uh, you know 23, 24 percent for uh, you know a first mortgage. Wow, that's I mean that's that's massive. And so, Greg, when we take a look at this market, you know, we we everybody keeps you know saying that their warning bells are out there, and we're right now trying to adjust the fact that you know we've got Donald Trump going to be the president of the United States, which you know we can all chuckle about. But are we are we in a position where this market could have a substantial collapse, or do you see things stabilizing in the near future? I actually see things stabilizing uh, in the Canadian market. Uh, I, and although right now there's still upward pressure, um, and because I think the low interest rates are making it so it's still there's still affordability there, and also the the um, over the last um, year to two years, I mean we've seen we've seen um, prices go up probably. I, I would say by 20% for sure, uh, especially in building lots. And I'm finding that there's um, um, a, a big, big demand for building lots or or houses that need renovation. Uh, and so there's uh, there's multiple offers by builders on on that product. It's um, and I mean we have and we're still experiencing multiple offers on anything. Uh, that seems to be of reasonable value, and the prices are still edging up. Um, and I think this is this is a result of just not enough product in the market, uh, and and so therefore more buyers and sellers. You know, it's an interesting point because when we take a look at our our inventory, you know, this year alone, Treb is probably tracking on completing somewhere in the neighborhood of about 110 to 115,000 transactions in total. Last year we had just over 103,000. So we know the volume's up, but the but but technically as you said, inventory is very tight and this is what's forcing the multiple offers. Can can we keep going though at this pace? I mean, you know, realistically or is it the fact also that we're adding a lot of new immigrants into, you know, the Canadian uh, economy? Well, that is a factor for certainly for the um, you know Toronto market for sure Toronto surrounding areas uh, because um, the the majority of them end up in in big city centers and and they're attracted to Toronto. Uh, that's one of the reasons that uh, although you see all the condo buildings that have been built and and people said for the last several years who's going to fill them all well. Uh, there's a shortage of rentals in Toronto because of the immigration, and it, it's just um, and and also because the uh, people see the young people seem to be migrating back to the city uh, from the suburbs. So um, 
like the smallest condos are demanding high rents right now in in the Toronto area, and there seems to be a shortage. There's actually even competition on um, you know nice clean rentals. Uh, they'll have two and three offers on them, and and the the, the landlords can kind of pick and choose uh, the type of tenant they want. Yeah, now that's a very positive thing. So folks, if you're just tuning in, uh, joining me this hour is Mr. Greg Gilmore, and he is broker owner uh, of REMAX Realty Specialists, uh, also one of the founding members of REMAX here in Canada. And Greg, you know, one of the things that um, has been one of the highlight in the newsreels uh, this year, of course, is the implementation of the foreign buyer tax in Vancouver. We've seen quite a, you know, an effect with Vancouver. Their their market is actually not not so much the value of the market is going down, but definitely the number of units is is really really shoring up. So there's not a lot of them selling. But then again, the market itself in Vancouver was already starting to lose its luster before the foreign buyer tax. Um, First of all, what's your take on the Vancouver market? But more importantly, I'm going to ask you, are you finding in this marketplace, are your agents out there, are we finding still a lot of foreign buyers coming into the GTA market? Uh, Yes, we are. Um, But not, um, I don't think this with the same enormity as as the Vancouver market. I was actually just in Vancouver in mid-October and and I um, was able to talk to uh, a number of realtors out there, and uh, the prices are falling. The uh, and they're it's like they say basically it's like somebody shut the tap off uh, of the real estate market there. It's really um, really drastically affecting them. Uh, even people who um, who had offers on properties uh, when when this was brought in. Uh, some, sometimes it's cheaper for them to say, keep my $100,000 deposit than to close the transaction. It means that the prices have been falling that fast. Wow. Um, and, and, um, and many of the sellers are kind of devastated too because they thought they'd sold the properties and, 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 and all of a sudden it's a, it's a question whether it's going to close or not because the, the, the value dropped between the time of the offer and, and the closing date. Right. So, um, um that's my brief knowledge on the uh Vancouver market and only because I just happened to be uh in Vancouver in in mid October. Now when we talk about the GTA market of course this is this is where you your your agents your brokerage uh transacts are you finding and and again this is one of the things Kathleen Wynn, premier of Ontario of course uh you know everybody has their opinion on her she's decided not to implement a uh, foreign buyer tax at this time, um, you know, I've always been an advocate saying, I don't believe that you should put a foreign buyer tax in the GTA or the Ontario market. I would, uh, you know, be more, I would encourage people more to get them on the exit, meaning if they're coming in to speculate and flip, you know, increase the taxes on the exit, which means that, you know, hey, listen, knock yourselves out, buy as much as you want. You just can't flip it. If you're flipping for profit, then you need to be taxed on it. Do you think that this marketplace, I mean, you know, as you said, yes, we've got foreign buyers. Um, are they controlling the GTA market as they did in Vancouver? Or are we, or is this just kind of a normalized domestic market that we're feeling? I, I feel it's a normalized domestic market. And, and it's not the same uh, as, as the Vancouver market. I mean, Vancouver is so close to um, the Asian immigrants and, um, and it's, so it's a nice, easy flight for them, and, and you get lots of people from um, 
Japan, China, and Hong Kong, uh, who are really attracted to that uh, you know West Coast. Um, although we have a, a, a strong influence here, it's um, most of the people are moving into the houses. Uh, in Vancouver, they were letting them sit empty. Uh, and kind of getting their cash out of their country and having in some kind of safe in investment. The um, um, so it's like it's it's different. Um, I think that the, um, the the Greater Toronto market is actually um, s- still strong and still a a, a a a good market. I mean, um, I've just uh, closed on a couple investment properties and uh, well, actually. Today I'm closing on one, and I just closed on one a month ago. Um, so, I mean, I believe that the real estate market is still uh, a really good place to invest. So just a, a quick prediction for our listeners. What do you think? 2017, is the GTA or Ontario market going to stay relatively stable? Or is there anything that we should be cautious of? Well, I think that we're going to see a, uh, a little bit of a raise in interest rates. But I don't think it's going to be devastating. I think, like you know, you'll probably see um, up to one percent uh, increase, and I don't think that will, you know, change uh, the affordability that much. Um, and but I mean, people need to be cautious of that when they have, um, you know, um, mortgages coming up for renewal, and 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 I don't think that. Um, the market is uh, going to have the same kind of increase in 2017 as it has over the last couple of years because I think I'm seeing more and more buyers saying no too much for me uh, and waiting. Uh, and, and, and we've had, um, I've noticed a number of things happening on the marketplace today where salespeople hold off offers and then they don't get any. Sure. Um, and and the property sits on the market for a longer period of time, and they actually increase the they increase the price after they've uh, uh, you know put it on the market at what they think is a low price, and then um, and now the properties do end up selling, of course, um, but it's not um, it's not with the same buyer pressure. Sure, I, I would say. Okay. Well, listen, Greg, thanks so much for joining us today. Uh, Always a pleasure, and we'll definitely have you back in the new year, and you can uh, update us then if possible. Thanks, Todd. Okay, thanks so much. Folks, that was Mr. Greg Gilmore. And um, just to close out the show, I want to thank all of you for tuning in. I want to thank Mike, my producer, and uh, all my guests today. So I will talk to you next week, Saturday at 4 p.m. So thanks so much, and have a great week.